0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D H A R M A Media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations with Z and Vin. And Z, today we got a special guest, one of your longtime students, John John. So, John, John, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to have you on.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm welcome to be here. Blessings.
0: Great. So, we are all set to have an interesting discussion. We've been talking a bit in the background about signs of the times and the signs being signs of mental illness. So, Z, this discussion kicked off because you mentioned an article that you'd read about how more than half the people. I don't know if it's in this country or in the world or how they did the analysis, but it's cited that more than half of our population has some form of mental illness. So that brings up a lot of interesting questions. Uh, Number one, what does it even mean to be mentally stable or mentally healthy in a world which is mentally ill? Uh, Two, how do you almost ward this off or figure out the right environment to create Uh, when there's so much craziness going on. And three, if we just look at what's been happening, I think this is where I want to start. If we look at the behavior that people exhibit and engage in, there are certain things that have just gotten out of control. Anxiety, we've talked about a lot. Anxiety is like this fog, this haze. It's almost something that people don't see. It's become so common and so pervasive, but it destroys us. It prevents us from resting, from recharging, from being in the moment. It leads to all kinds of physical health problems. So anxiety is a big one. That one's been getting worse. Uh, Depression goes hand in hand with anxiety. Uh, That seems to be on the uptick, especially since we've been in this year and a half of lockdown, where maybe anxiety has gotten worse. There's been less social interaction. So people are feeling depressed. Then we go on to things like anger. And we talked about how people are losing the ability to self-regulate. So maybe in the past, you would have felt something very strongly, but you would have said, you know what, I'm not going to go and beat up that random person, or yeah, this person cut me off and it really makes me angry, but I'm not going to take out my gun and shoot them. I'm not going to chase them at 110 miles an hour on the freeway and put my family at risk. But these are the sorts of things that are happening now. People are just walking around angry and at times ready to explode. So there's no regulation, no check on that. We get into other issues if you listen to how people talk sometimes. They talk in terms of problems and not solutions. It's just an endless drama that people are spinning. There's no opportunity for gratitude or for contentment. So there's no working towards a solution, which is strange. If you just think about how we want to live, ideally we want to live in a place of gratitude, a place where we feel good, we at least feel content, we enjoy our time on this planet, But there doesn't seem to be any will with certain people to do that. Uh, There seems to be just this endless chain or this endless narrative of problems and drama without any resolution whatsoever. And then finally, you talk to some people about life and life by itself, just the daily ups and downs is overwhelming. So uh, certain conversations we have, we hear about how, oh, things are just so hard. Everything is so hard. I can't deal with this. I don't know what to do. And... Again, this is no way to live. I mean, this isn't a healthy state to be in. So, Z, to kick off this discussion, I just want your thoughts. I mean, we've talked about some trends that I've seen. My view is that things have been getting worse. I think that's your your view as well. But maybe just talk anecdotally. I mean, what are some of the things that you've seen uh, that point to this decline in mental health?
2: Well, Vin, I'd like to, again, give context to this as I get into that, and when I talk about this articles that I read I've been, and I, I got deeper into it, and I started to think about, well, what is, what is it to be mentally well? What does that mean to be mentally healthy? Well, what does it mean to be physically healthy? We know with the human body that when we have reached optimal homeostasis, Everything's five by five, your body is working fine. There are no extraordinary events involved in your metabolism. You're eating, eliminating, active, your energy levels are, are moderate uh, in terms of uh, incline and decline of energy. You're not having any distracting things going on with your health. No sharp pains, no bloating, uh, the different things that are going on. You, 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 you have a sense of steadiness right? That's called homeostasis. Everything is in one status, common status. One of the things we overlook is our mental state, because our mental state is directly related to our physical well-being. And so we start to look at things that are out of neurostasis, right? We're no longer in a good place mentally. Are we sleeping well, right? Do you sleep through the night really well? Well, I know know, when I came out of the different events in my life, the military, whatever, where you have high levels of situational awareness, any little noise will wake you up. Right, John? You find it just any little thing will wake you up. And then when that does, you don't get a good night's sleep. Then you start your day in an agitated state. So your whole day, you're agitated, playing catch up with rest. So that's a small piece of mental illness that's... If that was your body, you, you, you ran too much, you worked out too much, your muscles are sore and tight, they're not going to be as useful the next day. So what I'm trying to do here is help us all run a parallel um, uh, metric of mental and physical health, how they are. You can look at both. Then you think about, uh, John John said earlier, where people used to hold things in. And I offered my idea, not so much that you want to hold things in because that leads to ulcers, it leads to high blood pressure, hypertension, it leads to uh, kidney and renal distress, and a lot of other things, obesity, holding things in. What we want to do is to regulate things as they move through us, regulate our emotions, regulate our um, compulsions, manage our emotions, and our reactiveness. We want to be more responsive than reactive. And we read, We know we've done that because we have a harmonious day. Your day went and ended without huge events. So what we're experiencing more and more in conversation with people, of course, we see the decline in health. We see that products to help people sleep have increased a thousandfold. The percentage of people looking as Caitlin yawns right over there. So we, we're not getting enough rest. Why don't we get rest? Well, the mind is telling us that there's an immediate threat around us. Sleeping would not be the safest thing to do right now. Why? Because is there a predator lurking? Is there unfinished business? Is there a possibility of something going wrong? Boom. Possibly of something going That's anxiety. So we're imagining, based on what happened, we're imagining a future of dread right? So we're not sleeping. That's, we're, now we're looking at, we got that mental flu. We have a mental cold right now. Just a little snotty nose cold. We take a few things, we get a night's sleep, we can resolve it. But we don't. So that illness gets bigger and bigger. What about anger issues? What are, the, what, what are anger issues born from where we're no longer functioning in a way that we have self regulation self-management, self-control. There's not a day that goes by that you don't see some bizarre story of someone at an airport or a public place going completely apeshit over the most minor thing. So before they exploded from that minor event, there was a buildup. And that's why I said to you, John John, why maybe it's not good for you to hold things Mm -hmm. in. What are you walking around with that's festering inside? that one more notch of pressure on you, one more unit of pressure will make you explode. So they show people at airports, good sign of the time, a common place where people travel. It's not unlike being in Union Station, you have travelers from all about moving about, trying to get on with their lives. You're at the airport and they're having to duct tape, tie people down, deny people travel because Uh, These people are walking around so filled with the pus of mental illness. It's like a festering sore that just needs to be one more bit of pressure and it ruptures all over everybody. Just like a huge pustule on your body of an infected limb needs to be drained. Then they drain this toxin out and it spreads amongst everybody. So now we, like the spread of the pandemic of Kofifi we found that we are spreading our mental illness. So that person who is in line or whatever, who's angry and bitter, has interrupted your flow of going to and fro, now you're mad. Now you want to kill them or beat them up, but you're constrained by social edict that you can't just kill that person, so you're holding that in. Now you're in the line at Starbucks or Coffee Bean or whatever, and your order doesn't come, and that's just one more thing. Now you're throwing hot coffee in people's faces. Right, you go out to the parking lot, and 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 someone is on the phone, distracted, blocking your way. Now you've held, like I said, Johnny, you've held all this stuff in, you haven't regulated it, and it's just building up, just like an infection. And then that's turning, that's rebounding on you. I talk to intimate couples, and they have so many little cuts of betrayal that basic lines of clarity with your friends and are now obscure because you can't listen anymore. You know, when you have anxiety, you can't listen because you're already imagining what the person's going to say. Then you've already imagined what they're going to do. Then you've already imagined what you're going to do if they say what you think they're going to say. Then when when you say what you think they're going to say and you react to what you thought they were going to do, you're thinking that they're going to do this. So you're no longer even present anymore, so you're in a state of psychosis. So now your anxiety has led to psychosis. So you're psychotic. And you'll hear people say, I thought you I thought you were gonna do something because I was thinking that you thought. The minute you hear that, you know the person's crazy.
1: Hmm.
2: You know you're going crazy. So how as I'm planning these, let's all look at ourselves. Let's look at the effects of our mental state on our physical body, our physical state on our mental body. It is said now that the new cigarette is sitting. So like cigarettes were giving everybody cancer and they figure that out. Now that we're sitting all day and we're texting and going back and forth all day, we live in an illusion. Because we're not walking, because we're not active, because we're not expressing movement and having that visceral loop of resolution, we're just stewing We might as well be sitting in a bucket shitting in ourselves and then wondering why the world is, is, is not working out because we're just festering. We're not just stewing anymore. We're festering. We can look at the news. We can look at the internet. We don't have to ever get up and we can go through every range of emotion known to humanity. Despair, grief, joy, elation, happiness, deep, deep depression, grief, and then manic happiness, all without leaving our seat, what is that doing to the mind there's no again there's no visceral loop, so people speak in a way now that 's insane. They talk about things on the internet as if they 're real life. Hmm. We were just having a conversation John John and I, where there was some internet person, uh, whatever they call it, the youtuber influence or whatever, who was challenging boxers to fight. And in any other moment, most people would pull away from that and say, well, that just sounds like the, the rantings of a lunatic. But if enough people get on board with that, he can actually make money uh, fighting where all these other people who have trained in, in, in the, the art of boxing and pugilism and so forth, who have stood in line and worked their way up to the ranks, they don't even get a chance at these huge purses because there's a crazy person that's making so much noise that the others of us who are now weak-minded, and we are also a little crazy, are drawn to that, like moths to a light. We're all drawn to that thing, and it's become normal, where nobody puts the brakes on and says, you know, this is a little crazy. It was like a few years ago, maybe they're still doing it, they had different challenges, where people would eat bath salts, or what was the other, Uh, they would drink, eat so much cinnamon, they would choke, or whatever it is. And then there was enough people, here's what I'm talking about, it's what the scientists are saying, there's enough people going along with that to say that, you know, a large percent of the population is fucking crazy. There was an era where people, and I'm not pining for days of yore, I'm saying that, there was a time when people would pump their brakes and say, you know, that's kind of crazy. I probably won't do that. For real. And that crazy person was so unique that it would be like a sideshow show at a circus or a freak show. Right, John But now it's actually normal. And, and, and we're part of the normalization of that. We should turn away from these things. Mental health is the ability to self-regulate, the, mil- the ability to turn away and say, that's not for me. That is not healthy. This is not a healthy pursuit, nor is it an efficient use of my time. This,
1: this, nobody has any complaints until they can't have something their way. And When that moment comes when they can't have something their way, then all the patience they had is out the window.
2: And interesting you say that, John, because
1: now having it
2: their way includes more and more stuff. That's why people are having trouble traveling on airlines.
0: Actually, I just read an article that um, they have now banned uh, emotional support animals.
1: Mm, good.
0: On uh, most there was airlines. Because too many
1: people going left field with that. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. That see, You see, they were bringing pigs and all kinds of stuff, talking about emotional support. How you gonna bring a pig on the plane? Right, you see what I'm saying? So,
2: that's where... We allowed it to go that far. So the allowance of that is mental illness. Does everybody understand that, Vin? You follow me? The allowance of that, the entertaining of that behavior. And it's in such a large portion that we see it in every facet of life. And in the entertainment, the sports world, and especially, of course, it's on full display in the politics of the day. It's literally a clown car. We're watching a clown car politically, socially. We look at um, the behavior as it comes to why people don't trust medicine, why we don't trust things that we used to trust, why we don't trust um, the financial market, right? For those of us who are thinking, we feel alone in our distrust, but there's a good reason to distrust These types of behavior. When did it occur to us as a society? uh, As Caitlin was saying and and John responded. This idea of an emotional support animal. A lot of people out there say, oh, you know, Fido makes me feel good. I'm okay with that. I had a dog. I loved a dog much. But I kept him at home. He's a vicious wild animal and I had him tamed. He would attack and kill anybody that came near me. Hmm. He gave me great comfort. I cry to this day at my loss of my poor dog. But I didn't impose that upon others. Self-regulation asks you not to impose your behaviors on other people. Self-regulation, demanding and, having, and, and acting out in a way, a volatile way, if other people do not comport to your social modeling. You follow me, Vin?
0: Yeah, Z, it's an interesting point that you bring up. It reminds me of this faceless committee term that we've been using, where you have these standards that come up for whatever is socially acceptable or politically correct, and everyone falls in line no matter how crazy (laughs) it is. And you're right. There's no regulation. This stuff just spins out of control until some other equally crazy idea comes and people move in that direction. And then you've got institutions which support all this. So, for example, you've got corporate America, which gets behind some of these ideas uh, because they don't really care. They just want to avoid controversy. They're happy to do whatever society asks them to do, as long as they can keep the machine running, keep on making money. And maybe it's the internet. Maybe it's technology that allows these ideas to spread so quickly. Uh, Maybe it's the trolling that keeps people in line and you're afraid that you're going to be canceled. So you decide not to speak out. I don't really know. And it reminds me of what we were talking about earlier, uh, where I think I was asking you about certain behavior or we were having a discussion about The mind of someone, what would lead someone to do certain things? So, why would they behave that way? Why would they act that way? And your point was number one, who the hell knows? And number two, the only way to find out is to be crazy. (laughs) So, the only way to understand crazy is to be crazy. So, you actually don't want to be there. You don't want to be in that space where you're trying to decipher every single thing that's happening or come up with explanations for why we are where we are. Maybe the best we can do is to just focus on ourselves, which is really the point of a lot of our discussions and our whole Dispassionate Observer podcast. The world is going to do what it's going to do. Certain things that we look at are just beyond common sense, beyond any of our attempts to rationalize or explain. So given all of that, given the direction the world is headed, what can we do? I do think that we can take some lessons from what we see around us and apply it to ourselves. And I I like the way, Z, that you started this out and talked about that balance between the physical diagnosis and the mental diagnosis. Because for whatever reason, there's such a stigma around things that go on with us emotionally and mentally. You're absolutely right. If your leg is hurting, you'll go and get it checked out, and you'll figure out that maybe you're walking funny, maybe your shoe is too tight or you're running in some kind of weird way and you'll fix it and you'll get on with your life or if your back hurts you'll do the same thing you'll correct your posture but for whatever reason when we get to our emotional state there's this whole stigma around it there's an embarrassment to talk about it and there's the sense that this is the essence of what i am so if there's something wrong with me mentally or wrong with the thoughts that are going through my mind I can't even admit that because it means that I'm fundamentally flawed, which is silly. And I I think it's particularly silly because there's such clear cause and effect in certain cases between the behaviors that we have and the outcomes in terms of our mental state. So I'll give a simple example. I've used this example in the past. Years ago, I would sit at work and some days I'd just be in front of a computer screen, either in front of a computer screen or on conference calls the entire day. So call it eight, nine, ten hours, whatever. And by the end of the day, I would just be so drained and depressed. And I started thinking, what is this? My job is terrible. I'm coming home. I'm upset at my wife for no reason. I'm just in a bad mood. I'm bringing people down around me. Maybe I'm not cut out to work. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And then I realized over time that it was actually a much simpler explanation which is I wasn't moving around. You know, I was spending too much time literally sitting in the same place as you talked about, how sitting is the new cigarette smoking. I was sitting down. I was in front of a screen. I was dealing with people who were just grinding me down and giving nothing back in return. So I needed an antidote to that, and that antidote is to walk around, to get some fresh air, to have conversations with people that you connect with that restore some of that energy, to cultivate some of the closer relationships, make sure you have enough socialization during the day. And I did that, and it actually changed a lot. Uh, and now I'm much more attuned to that, and I can manage my moods to a large extent through my behavior. Uh, at least I'm more aware of the times when I'm starting to get drained and I can do something about it. So there is this cause and effect. And if you think about the habits that we've picked up, I mean, the world is completely different today than it was even 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. We're all walking around with these little computers in our hands that are extensions of our brain. We are trained to constantly check the phone. I mean, the stats are that we're checking in 150, 200 times a day, spending all this time texting, social media, YouTube, whatever, uh, moving more and more towards a world of virtual reality. And the interesting thing is the... The causes, in some cases, are obvious. Uh, So that's number one, and I want to return to that in a second. But two, Z, what I find interesting is that this stuff feeds on itself. So it's actually a cycle that spirals out of control. So if you spend all of your time online in front of a phone, you're not getting exercise, that makes you anxious and depressed. That means that you're less likely to socialize with other people. That means that those skills start to erode. So you don't get the socialization that you need, which means that you're searching more and more for some fix. So you're checking your phone more, your stock quotes, your porn, whatever it is. uh, That's triggering triggering the dopamine, and you're in that state of being hyper-alert and hyper-energized and unable to settle down. You can't wind down. You need more and more and more. Uh, That, again, affects your socialization. So it's kind of like you move away from a healthy, balanced – or or harmonious state, to one where you are increasingly moving at a faster and faster rate towards your own destruction. Uh, and the reason I bring that up is that there isn't a natural check in place. I mean, if we allow this situation to play out, we destroy ourselves. Uh, it's not like we hit some some limit and, and we come back, or there's some governing mechanism to bring us back in check. We're the ones who have to take control of ourselves and really be aware Of what's going on, be aware of that cause and effect, and make sure that we keep things in check. So if we take a look at society, we look at some of these behaviors, you said it up front. We see a lot of these things in ourselves as well. I mean, I see it. I can feel my hand at times reach for my phone. I've got that habit, just like probably 99% of the population does. I have to be aware of that. I have to be aware that I need to wind down at a certain time so that I can sleep. There are all these things that I have to keep in check. And Z, maybe we start there. I mean, for the average person living in this world where we're bombarded with information, we're moving less and less, what are maybe just some of the, the basic check-ins we can do to, number one, diagnose whether we're mentally out of whack in certain areas, and number two, figure out what can we do about this?
2: Vin, one of the first things we do is admit susceptibility to the diseases of mental illness. We're all susceptible. As you said, you catch yourself reaching for your phone, or at least you're aware of it, and that begins as I move my phone off my lap, as we wanna know we're doing that. We wanna stay aware. We wanna stay in a state of clarity so we can discern between what is well and what is unwell. If you don't have clarity, it, you've just normalized the disease to the point where you're so immersed in it that you lose your humanity. Here's what I mean by that. I love words. The word homo sapien is the upright thinking one, the thinking one. What is thinking, intelligence, discernment? It is a distinguishing feature of the homo homo sapien that they think for themselves. When you're no longer thinking for yourself, you're no longer human. Human, the the, the mind of character, that's what the word means the mind of you have no character. And we know that when we no longer, when that creature is no longer doing what it is natural designed to do, that that creature is sick. When a fish no longer swims, when a bird no longer flies, right? When a snake no longer slithers, we know something's wrong. We know something is wrong when we can't think for ourselves anymore. So I think about people who work in, in coal mining country, what benefits the coal mine company? is everyone accepts that they'll have asbestosis, silicosis, or brown and black lung disease, they accept that. And you'll hear these poor interviews with these hapless individuals dying at thirty years old from black lung disease, barely able to talk, saying, "If I could do it again, I'd go back in the mine and take care of my family." You hear these? Just you don't have to. You talk to these people work in mining countries. What, did the, what benefited the mining company? is said, they're not thinking. Is dying at 30 years old worth a small paycheck and a double-wide trailer in Appalachia somewhere to protect the interests of a mining company whose owners would never go near the mine? What part of that is thinking? You think about nature has given us a lot of examples of where we're at. In a beehive, you have different types of bees, the worker bee, the queen bee, the soldier bee, the drones, the drones. So what makes that queen bee abundant is the drones. Just following orders, no ambition, no idea of individuality, just droning along. Look out your window there in, in 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 the city in the Big Apple. Look at the people, the traffic moving to and fro, the trends. Look at the behavior of people. Nothing extraordinary. They have lost their fucking mind. Just droning around, and then every now and then there will be some sort of break in the flow, that disrupts the hive. In China, it's called the Tang Ping. The as we talked earlier before, the lay down movement. People woke up, a few people woke up and said, you know what, I'm working six days a week, 16 hours a day. I'm mired in debt, I'm shopping, I'm buying. I have no happiness, no joy, no love in my life. No picture of this ending. I've been really sick and one day I woke up and the fever broke. I've been really sick and one day I went to the bathroom and I expelled all of this waste that was blocking my body, and all of a sudden I saw the sun. I woke up, and I don't like this. And like in China, the response to most of the by the most of the corporate or government but this is a bad thing. It's a bad thing for the drones to not be drones. It's a bad thing for the drones to become human, so we need to talk about it in a way that that's very negative. No, some people realize they were sick. They realized they were mentally ill. And they said, this doesn't work for me. More and more people here are doing it, but it's it's fragmented. They're not well yet. They say, look, I'm going to pack up and leave the city. Well, that's the first sign that you know you're sick. But they don't know why they're sick, so they go to other places and make it as sick as the place they were before. There's no convenience store. There's no Starbucks in this back little town. Let's get that over here. And then they follow you over there, and then you find yourself into the same routine because you didn't know how sick you were. You didn't know you could make coffee at home. You didn't know you could make a real nice chai at home. You didn't know that. But once you learn that, you start to realize, you know, the, the, the food at home tastes good. But then you, you're not sure about your partner because you've been in such psychosis for so long, you forgot. And it's, wow, well, what is intimacy anymore? What is the value of connecting with other people on a very human level, since I've had all these online friends. I have a lot of followers on Facebook. And then you realize that you were sick. Followers on Facebook aren't your friends. They don't know you, they don't care about you. They have never connected, they've never seen your face. You go, oh wow, I was alone, I was isolated, I was a drone. And I was told that that was okay, but it never felt right. People say that all the time. I was told that it was okay, but it never felt right,
1: Hmm.
2: right? And so as you start to awaken, you start to feel your body again. That's one of the signs that you're coming out of of the sickness, is that you feel. And you know, sometimes the body hurts. The other day I hadn't rested in a long time. You know, doing a lot of things, family life. I hadn't got the rest I needed. And something was going on. I fell asleep on the floor. And I got up and I told my wife, I said, I feel physically in pain. You ever slept so hard that it hurts because your body is healing? You're coming back into your body. And your body has been in pain for so long, but you were disconnected from the agitation, the discomfort. And then you know that sleep, John John, you get where you just feel like you can't even wake up. It almost feels illness like itself, but that's actually healing because you've come back into present. You're not outside of yourself anymore. And being in a flesh and blood body isn't always comfortable, but it's always home. It always is your body. It's your familiar, but you were detached from it. You were maybe taking stimulants to get up in the morning, something to knock you out. You were going, 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 directionless, worried all the time. Worried about worry all the time. And to the point where you miss days and weeks, and we always say, don't we say that? Another sign of minutes, we always say, my God, the time has flown. Why did it fly? Because we weren't right there. We weren't right there. That's why it flew by. We missed things that were right in front of us. Not unlike being on a long road trip and you have uh, what they call highway uh, psych- narcosis or psychosis, right? You're on the road and you're sleeping almost at the wheel and you didn't know you went through two states. You don't remember the gas station you stopped at, you know you did,
1: hmm.
2: right? Highway hypnosis, they used to call it. So that's a form of mental illness. It's brief, but it's a form of mental illness where the drugs in your brain have overridden certain functions in your brain and jumped over the motor to the hippocampus so you're not even recording that memory. It's a non-event. But you know, you ever drove a long distance and you say, well, how did I get here? What was in between that? That's highway hypnosis. So how many of us are walking around with walking hypnosis, stress, stress hypnosis, or narcosis of some kind because we're starved of oxygen? And so we want to first, as we always say, do IPI, identify, process, and integrate. What are the demons going through my head? How do I corral these demons, subjugate them, imprison them, and then execute these demons in my mind so they're no longer running roughshod over my day-to-day activity? Can I end my day and really end it, and can I start my day on a fresh note? I've been trying this technique of where I end every day with a some sort of salutation. Day's over, ready for a new beginning. I've been saying that. And it's been very helpful in relieving me of feeling like I had things undone, or that there's resentment, or even carrying into the next day stress of the last day or week. You follow me?
0: Yeah, I think the the ability to leave things and move on, move on from moment to moment, from one experience to the next, without holding on to what has happened, what we have to do, it, just that sense of urgency, the anxiety, the constant thought spiral, if we can do that, that's a huge benefit. In my mind, that's an incredible starting point, because When you try that and you're able to settle that mental dust, whatever the technique is, whether it's doing what you're doing, Z, and just moving on, putting in a break between one day and the next, or you're sitting still and you allow the dust to settle. Or sometimes for me, I like being out in the sun. And if I can spend time just sitting outside, if the weather is nice and I get some fresh air, it almost takes me a few minutes for things to settle, but they spontaneously settle down. And I just feel a lot more open, a lot more connected to the world around me, a lot more calm. I don't know if confidence is the right word, but maybe that, that sense of conviction and in, in life that you're okay, that things around you are okay, that there's nothing you need to chase mentally nothing you need to go after, that's a very powerful state. So I completely agree. I mean, maybe if we're thinking about antidotes to this mental state that we're all getting into, and yes, there are different layers to it, there are different maladies that affect different people, perhaps we start with the commonalities. And the commonalities are just the endless stimulation, the endless thoughts, the endless urgency all of that adds up to constant anxiety. And if we have techniques to get that under control, that's a very strong starting point. That puts us in a more powerful, more stable frame of mind. And then perhaps we can delve deeper. We can practice being that dispassionate observer because you need a certain amount of mental stillness to step away from yourself and even diagnose the problem. So perhaps if you can create that respite, that allows you to step back delve a little bit deeper, and almost like an onion, keep on peeling back the layers and getting rid of different forms of psychosis, or at least diagnosing some of the factors that are leading to mental agitation. And perhaps you can't fix it 100% of the time, but at least you're aware of it. You can check in with yourself, and you know that if you get past a certain point, you have to take some corrective action. You can pull yourself back and be more in that homeostasis. So, yeah, I think that's very powerful. One question I have for you, Z, we've talked about this question on a different podcast. I can't remember which one, but I asked you something about the environment, uh, meaning can we truly cultivate peace of mind in, in modern-day life? Uh, if we think about all the distractions around us, all the technology, all the behaviors that we see of other people, it, because all of that influences us. I mean, even if we're trying to stay calm, there's only so much that you can avoid. And other people, their mood, their demeanor is going to impact you. So I'm going to put the question a little more, uh, in a little bit more of a pointed way, and forget about modern life generally. If we just think about the technology and the work environment that a lot of people have, at least a lot of the people that I know, most of the day is spent in an office in front of a computer, and in this environment, Maybe you've got the same setup at home, but you're still sitting down in place in front of the computer. And you've also got your cell phone. You're always checking in on the cell phone. Even if you don't want to, there's an expectation that other people have that they'll get an immediate response. So there's a certain amount of pressure that forces you to check in, perhaps more than you otherwise would, that creates this tendency to be tethered to your cell phone. If that's the environment we're in, is it possible to be free of mental illness? I, I mean, I, I'm struggling with this myself. You know, there, there are certain things that I can do to promote peace of mind, but I almost feel like the amount of time I spend in front of a computer with my cell phone it seems to be a barrier that I, I can't get past. I, I wonder at times, do I just need to purge these, get rid of these, go back to a cell phone like one of those flip phones where you can take calls but you can't do text or Internet? Do I need, you know, the computer... I don't really know what to do about it. So much of work is online. I don't know how to step away from that. But I think about your uncle Z. <laughs> that picture you showed me of uh, Uncle Dunda in the Congo, who was the the healthiest eighty year old man I'd ever seen. But he really unplugged. I mean, he opted out to a totally different level. So wh- where do we fall in that spectrum, and w- what should we do about technology?
2: I think here, Vin, I'm going to say a few things, just some thoughts. Again, I don't own the truth, and and I hope John John and Caitlin will chime in on this. As I work with people every day, and I think of our mission to mitigate human suffering using our intelligence, our intellect, and from that, mastering skill sets and health craft that allow us to live our life out in a good way. What do I say? I compare mental health to physical health. If I see a fever coming on, It's better that I remedy the fever. There are are herbs that you take right when you feel something coming on that help purge that disease from your body. With mental illness, you follow the philosophy. For example, the Tao says, leave nothing undone so there's nothing to do. Ask yourself, do you end your day? Can you end your day? Can you leave work at work? Can you be completely present at home? If you can't be, those are signs that you are sick. So work towards that when it's small. Do the small things when they're small. This technology is a tool or it it can be a tool for us or we can be a tool for it. Ask yourself, are you a tool of technology? Or is it a tool for you? Put your phone down at a certain hour and walk away from it. I've been doing that and I noticed that my uh, internet use has gone down 57%. Hmm. Still a lot, I still use it a lot, but went down 57% just by going home, plugging in, putting it down. And I've missed nothing, nothing at all. So if you can't do that, you're sick. If you can't put down that cigarette, that Coke spoon, That hypodermic needle of internet, you're sick. Look at it just as if it were drug use and know where it ends and where, where it ends and you begin. If you can't do that, you need help. You need a more intense cure. You also look at your social and that real temporal life you live. Are you going to the gym? Are you taking walks? Are you, do you are you affectionate towards the people in your life? Do you show affection? Or has you have you been so diseased that you're too putrid of a person to exchange, embrace a, a kind handshake, eye contact, the sitting still with loved ones? you know you're sick. So before we can get well, we need to know we're sick, and we need to know how sick we are. Look at the world out there. John John brought me pictures of the homeless situation in LA, which again is a a foolish term. It's actually the roving insane. So much mental illness, people can't even live indoors anymore. And we're all subject to it just by witnessing it. We're witnessing the carnage of the human mind. We're witnessing the pandemic as if we're no different than we're looking through a microscope watching disease manifest. We see this society. How can you not see it? How can we not see our role in it? That we've gone along with things that aren't cool, that it's hard to function anymore. You want to be able to call things as they are. If something isn't just harmonious, don't figure out how to be disharmonious with it. Step away from it. Like you said, yeah, my Uncle Dunda just basically left society and got healthy, and he visits people rarely. There was another story I'm very fascinated with about the Japanese soldier who continued to fight World War II after the war, and they found him in the jungles of uh, the Philippines in stellar health and wellness. He was simply driven by clear duty when he moved back to the city. He got sick and ill and he moved moved back to Brazil somewhere and died, but he was so appalled at what he saw coming out of the forest that it made him physically ill. Even though living in the jungle, he stayed well with all the issues of being in the jungle. The city was more toxic for him than the jungle. I think his name was Hiro Anoda or something like that. So we want to think about these people who are really well mentally. Do you know when to let it go, when to cut it off, when to stop, when to not just go for whatever's going on, not looking for the right words to make wrong seem right, up seem down? Can you avoid crowds? There's nothing going on in the crowd. Not right now, not in the day in the world we live in. Do you find yourself drawn to places where thick masses of unhealthy people gather? Just even if you're doing it, know you're doing it. Hey, I'm getting ready to go into a shark pit. I'm going to pack up the family and we're going to go on a visit to a a, 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 a flu cluster, a COVID cluster. Let's all go there. Wow, how crazy does that sound? Then you know you're crazy. But at least you know you're crazy. Once you're insane, you don't know you're insane. You can know you're crazy. But you usually don't know you're insane. So you don't want to transition from crazy to insane. Okay? So there are exercises that we do on boundaries, on our self-care, on all those things. What Can you think of anything else, John John
1: You know, I'll just... I'll, I'll try to challenge myself. To make room for other people, to leave room for other people, That's to great. allow other people to have room to do whatever it is they need to do, however it is they need to do it. Now it's cool. I used to find it difficult because I used to always want to put my stamp on everything, be involved with everything. That's anything crazy. moving around. I got to touch, I gotta touch it somehow. I gotta put my input on there or something, but I know better now. Mm-hmm. Now, no, just kick back. Some things aren't meant for you to have your input self-regulation. on. Self
2: mm-hmm. regulation. John John's describing self
1: regulation.
2: Yeah. Self regulation. Understanding your moods, your temperament, your ego, and being able to regulate it. That is a sign of a healthy mind. Leave nothing undone so there's nothing to do. Stay in your own lane. No the beginning and end of all things you're involved in. Offer yourself in a gracious way to those that care about you and those that you share humanity with. One of the best remedies for mental health is gratitude and the rejection of entitlement. You follow me, Vin?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Z. This is an important point that you and John-John have both mentioned about your expectations. So just to recap quickly, we talked about leaving work where it is, putting down technology, creating boundaries between one day and the next so you're not constantly repeating what's already happened in your mind. These are all exercises that we can do but the other area that we need to tackle is our beliefs about life. So we've talked about entitlement as being a disease and leading to mental disease. We're in this culture where, for whatever reason, we feel like people need to treat us with respect. Uh, We deserve certain things. If we're out there and we're trying really hard, We should get promoted. We should get more money. We should find that really special partner who loves us just for us. And it's hard sometimes for people to look at themselves objectively and say, what am I doing to contribute to this situation? How am I responsible? Or even if the world is stacked against me, so the hell what? I'm not going to be able to change the world. All I can do is focus on myself and make decisions to better regulate, to better maneuver through whatever these challenges are that life puts in front of me. And that takes a certain amount of maturity. I mean, maybe we've been dematuring. I don't know what the word is for dematuring, if there's the opposite of maturing. (laughs) But uh, we're becoming more, yeah, regressing, becoming more infantile. Uh, I've seen this at times. I mean, it's funny, I'll talk to people about the behavior that I observe in the workplace. And you've got grown men in their 40s, 50s, extremely successful, wealthy, screaming at each other like five-year-old children. It's just pathetic at times. And it's like, what leads to this state? And I've got to imagine a lot of it is this sense of entitlement, this screaming out to the world to say, recognize that I'm important, the need for validation, which we talk about, which is a game that we're never going to win. Uh, this idea that we have to constantly consume or we need more. So a lot of the conventional measures of success, uh, the conventional prescriptions for how we should live lead us down the wrong path and actually foster this mental illness that we've been discussing. And maybe in the past they were checked. Uh, Maybe as you're saying, Z, you can get too far out of line because you might look around and say, you know what, I'm the only person – who's not advancing in my career, or or I'm the only person who's in terrible health, uh, so I better do something about it. But now if you have critical mass and you've got enough people with the same set of beliefs, you can't even look around and and realize that anything is wrong. You're doing what everyone else is doing. You're doing what you think is the right thing to do. Uh, We've been sold a certain idea of how to live, a certain idea of success, and that can be very corrosive, to our health. So maybe that's the final piece of this that that we should talk about. And I don't know if you have any perspective on this. I mean, we, we just talked about entitlement. Are there other states of mind that lead to disease or other common narratives that you think we need to address?
2: Esteem yourself. Um, people just go like self-esteem a lot. People over-esteem themselves. Mm. What have you done for humanity? What have you done that you deserve all of this acknowledgement and attention. Um, Most of us, within five minutes of our death, the world will forget we ever existed. Um, A week, two weeks after your death, uh, things go back to normal, even in your own personal circle. A year after your death, it's like you were never here. Most of us will have that kind of life. If you face that, everything you have is right now. Be present right now. And if you have trouble doing that because you're haunted by something you feel you were denied of, then you're mentally ill. Everybody in your life is a gift. Everyone you meet. And then those that admire you are a prize. My God. If you have a few friends and a few loved ones in your life, you hit the lottery. Hmm. There are people that live and die with no friends. There are people their whole relationships are transactional. That's what drives them and pushes them to do what is called to achieve great success. Is because they know without that they have no relationships. What about those of us who are just day-to-day people, everyday people? Have so many good people in your life, that's all you get. That's all you get. That's your share of the banquet pie. That's your part of the potluck. What if you just showed a starving man's gratitude for whatever meal you get? You'd find yourself in such a nice state of mind. What if you said to yourself, you know, nothing's wrong with the world. It's me that has to adjust to the terrain of this world. So I'm going to watch my step, not the other person's step, but my step. How much better off would you be? Great. So let's really go back to what we've spoken about, of that self-analysis. Whatever is going on, what if you said, let me manage my part of it. You'd find the, a burden of pressure on your mind relieved. Once that pressure is relieved in your mind, the flow of mental juices improves. Your mental uh, state improves because you have that fluidity of mind. You've reached that level, high level of homeostasis in the brain. And you can be healthy. You can be mentally healthy. Find peace with yourself, even if if it's moment to moment, and bridge those moments together. There will be adversity in this life. There will be challenges. There will be disappointments and up and downs. But along with them are the companion to the opposite. Joy, happiness, peace, good times. Take it all in stride. That's healthy. That's homeostasis. Take it all in stride.
0: You follow me, Van? Yeah, I think that the reason this is challenging is everything you're saying is the opposite of what we learned. And this really gets us back to one of the basic tenets of our philosophy, which is you got to think for yourself. If you're in China and the government is telling you that you're lazy and you're mediocre, and you're not worth anything because you're not working 100 hours a week for someone else and giving them all the fruits of your labor, guess what? you got to step back and say, does that make any sense? Does that serve me? The same thing with these narratives that we, we learn, that we're the center of the world or that we have to control or we have to move life in a certain direction or we need attention, respect. Yeah, maybe some of that's nice at times, but is that a reasonable expectation? So being able to diagnose not just the behaviors that are causing our anxiety and our anger, but the belief systems, those go hand in hand. Uh, So that's where I would leave us. I think uh, we've talked a lot about this topic. Uh, We've gotten to some interesting points. Uh, We've talked about anxiety. We've talked about being able to put down technology, being able to stay in the present. But in addition to those and having the awareness to do that self-diagnosis— also looking at the implicit beliefs that we carry around in my mind is equally important. So that, that's where I would leave it. I don't know if you have any final thoughts, either you or John John, but uh, curious to hear what you say.
2: I would leave it as we're finishing up and, and I'll see if, if John John or Caitlin has something to say, but for those who listen to our podcast on a regular basis, remember our mission is to mitigate human suffering by giving us tools, resources, and the skills To think different, just to think for yourself. That is so important. If we think about the dronization, what I call the droning of a population, is that we're just caught up in things that we have no connection to. And and so I want us to work on that. I also want to say something about um, our guest today. So I've been knowing uh, John John for uh, nearly 50 years. And um, I have these extremely beautiful relationships with people. Um, just kill the Black Widow's back. That's, that's great. Uh, give it to Caitlin. She's a Native American. So um, John John is here, and I really enjoy it. And one of the things about having loving, long-term relationships is you realize the equation of time. Time is a measure of mass, space, and distance. And though 50 years or so has gone by in my life, John John appears to me as he did 50 years ago. This just brilliant, beautiful little boy. He's a grown man with gray hair, two in his head. John I, 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 want,
1: I want to tap in real quick before I lose that train of thought. Just on what y'all was just elaborating on. As far as the belief thing goes, most of us, take our beliefs from those we love and trust the most mm-hmm. we we like our favorite teacher in elementary you'll never forget your favorite teacher because she gave you the most input that you enjoy that's learning right. from right. so you always remember that but it's the people you love and trust the most kind of help shape your belief system you know in some form or fashion so
2: so it goes back to that open heartedness and that's why I wanted to finish with that As, as for all the people that, that enjoy our podcast and Are part of this this movement we're growing Um, as you get to know me and you get to know the people that are who are part of me who make me who I am John John's one of those people that just rev up my spirit Um, I knew him I was a young military guy and he was a little boy that I used to spend a lot of time with and he's a part of my life now his son is is apprenticing with me and he's just like my own grandson Uh, there's no separation there's no light between our hearts and it's just a beautiful thing. I suggest everybody out there, connect with people. That's a sign of mental health. Connect. Develop warm relationships. Not with everybody. Meet people where they're at. And all of those people in our community, I've talked to you, I spoke to you. Uh, let's, get, let's get earthy with that. Let's give that That's heart dramatic. that polarity. <laughs> As John, John John said, those people shape you. Love shapes you as to the lack of love, can shape you, too. Hmm. So open your heart. Check in with yourself. Get
0: your mind right. All right, Vin? All right. Yeah, I love it. Get your mind right. Open your heart. Think for yourself. Simple formula. Let's do it, and let's move forward. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.